for your goodness. Father, if it, if it weren't for that, we'd, we'd have nothing. We'd be nothing. But we come to you this morning and thank you for being a good father. Thank you for bringing us here together. And I pray that you would accept our praise and our worship to you this morning. Pray that your spirit would be here with us, speaking to us, and ministering to each need here this morning. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing along to some background music helping us uh, stay on key. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back.
time we sing that, you uh, catch on to those parts a little bit better, but we're getting there. <laughs> Do you let go of any of you this week? Nope, I don't think, uh, you wouldn't be here if you did, right? How many reasons do you have for, uh, oh, wait a minute, I wasn't supposed to hit that button. How many reasons do you have for uh, him never letting, thanking him for him never letting go of you? More than 10,000. Well, let's, let's go with the 10,000 ones. That'll keep us busy for a while. Still my soul. 
10,000 reasons. All right, let's start going around the room here. We could be here all day. Well, we can at least start. I haven't even heard one reason yet. He forgives my sin. Forgives my sin. Let's hear some more. Uh, he's blind in relationship with us. That's why he created us. Okay. Gave us the comforter. Anyone else? All right, we're slowly ticking down that 10,000. Amen. That's a good one. Amen. See, we could get to 10,000. Amen.
any testimonies? Anything to share? i 
sing one more song. Caden, you want to introduce this next song? What's the next song we're going to sing? This is his favorite. He picked it this morning. <laughs> I embarrassed him. You're going to help me sing it, aren't you? Can you say it really loud? Say it with me. Waymaker. <laughs> 10,000 Reasons was Tiffany's pick for this morning.
be seated. Kids, I think Judd's got another lesson and hopefully another $100 bill for you. <laughs> or for me. Come on up here, kids. Oh, there's a bag of candy this time instead of mine. Mine. <laughs> Gracious. Hmm. Maybe, but yeah, I don't have as many kids this time. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I'm looking. There. You see what's in there? Do you want some of that? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. So instead of just giving it to you, we're going to do something a little different, okay? So is it better to give or receive, do you think? I do. Better to give, Benny? Okay. So I want you guys to do me a little favor here. I think it's, is it Acts 20:35 or something? It says it's better to give than receive. So what I want you guys to do is you go in here and get a handful of this, and we're going to go around. We're going to give every single one of us around here, we're going to give them one, okay? And then once you're done with the when you're done with that, then you can get your own. Okay? Deal? <laughs> oh, gracious. <laughs> yeah, you could have taken the whole bag. <laughs> Gracious. Want to go give one to her? Hey, you still grab enough. Okay. I want the whole bag. Yeah. Well, you can keep your own now, though. Okay? Yeah. Wait, that's good enough. Yeah. Is that all of them? Is that all of them, Benny? Is that all of them, or you have more to give? You have more of them back there, yeah. What is that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> is that everybody? Has everybody got one? Oh, needed some over there. Hey, there's one over there. Does Benny have that? Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's got one. Okay, now each of you can go grab your own now. Okay? Huh? Huh? Memorize the verse with them? That's not a bad idea. Hey, okay, you're going to sit down? Here, I'm going to pull it up, see if I can find it real quick. Okay, hey, y'all need to sit down here real quick. Okay, we're going to see if we can memorize this one. <laughs> here we go. Okay. Are y'all ready? Hey, y'all ain't gonna pay attention to me now, are you? <laughs> okay. Y'all ready now? Okay. So right here it says it is more is more blessed to give than receive. Can you repeat it? You ready, Caden? Yeah. Can you say it? Here. Can you can you say it? No. Okay, Dan. Come on. Okay. Fine. Are you ready? Can you repeat after me? Yeah. Yes, you. I think you can. Anyway, 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, we'll do it one more time. Okay, ready? It is more blessed to give than receive. Okay, good job. Y'all can go sit down. Sherry, did you memorize that verse? It is more blessed to give than receive. It is. Any idea why that is? Why is it more blessed to give than receive? It's being nicer. That's right. Why, why do we give things? It's because God gave everything for us, right? Is that why we give to other people? Because God gives to us? It's one of the reasons. Think about that till the next time Judd has children's lesson in another week or two and, and uh, tell him all the reasons why it's more blessed to give than receive. Thank you, Judd, for sharing that lesson. Thank you all for being here. Um, I see a bunch of visitors here this morning. We love having visitors here, so how about uh, giving them all a hand? Welcome, guys. Good to have you here. Hopefully you got a bulletin. If you didn't, uh, it's Steve's fault. Uh, it looks like he's out of them. Um, but uh, I'll run over the announcements real quick with you. And uh, just please just come make yourself at home here. We're not uh, any big uh, formal uh, kind of gathering. So just come and enjoy and pitch in and, and uh, be blessed. There is water, tea, coffee. And I'm not sure what all else out in the foyer there, so please make use of that. If you need our restroom facilities, they are back that hall to my left. We also uh, will be having a lunch, as usual, nearly every Sunday. We have a lunch after the service. There will be plenty of food, so please stay and enjoy that with us and enjoy that time of fellowship. Uh, we don't uh, take an offering in the church here, but we believe that Giving is something between you and the Lord, and if he has blessed you and you, and he asked you to give and you choose to, you're welcome to do that. There's a uh, little offering box mounted on the back wall there if you uh, choose to give to the work of the church here. Uh, we always have the church open for prayer, a prayer meeting Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock here. Keep that in mind. This is the week for the men's Bible study, book study at the lap home at 6.30 this Wednesday evening. And we've been announcing this for the last several weeks, but that's coming up next Sunday now. Dave Arden with the Spirit of Martyrdom Ministries will be speaking to us next Sunday. He'll be uh, sharing a message and then in the afternoon after our uh, meal, we'll have an informal uh, question and answer session that uh, we'll have with him if anyone has any questions about their work and, and the things they do there with uh, Spirit of Martyrdom Ministries. So feel free to pass the word around on that. I think that'll be a, uh, a great time and a blessing to everyone here. 
Do you have any announcements, Caden? Nope. Okay. All right. Uh, Phil will be sharing the word with us this morning. Uh, before he uh, shares, let's pray. Father, we come to you. I thank you for each one here this morning. Lord, there's, there's a reason that you brought everyone here. And you alone know that reason. But here we are, Father, and we just want to open ourselves to you that your spirit will minister to our hearts. You know the desires of each heart. You know the struggles. You know the fears. You know everything about us far better than what we could ever imagine. And I pray that your word will minister to the needs of each heart here today, that we would not just be hearers of your word this morning, but that we would be doers of your word, that your word would go into our hearts and bring forth fruit for you. I pray for our brother as he shares your word, Father, that it would be from you and that you would just give him the words to speak. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, while I'm sitting up here, um, for those of you, again, who I guess most of you do not know, Brother David Arden, uh, I don't know him personally well. Um, I just got to meet him about a month ago. But the brother who founded the, the ministry, Spirit of Martyrdom, Brother David Witt, he and I, he and I have known each other since, uh, I think it's been 2006. And... To introduce the ministry a bit to you, he was a frontline worker for Voice of the Martyrs. Many of you have probably heard of that organization. They support Christians all over the world who face persecution. And they try to, um, to bless those who are in prison, to support them, to support their families. Well, David Witt was a, a frontline worker for them. He would fly all over the world and secretly meet with these brothers and sisters and then organize this this work. Um, back in, in about 2012, I think it was, the Lord called him to a need that he's seen as a frontline worker. One of the needs that he's seen was that in one little village or in one town, perhaps like in a country like Iran, especially a very restricted country, someone would get born again in one village. And Another person, maybe, you know, five, six miles down the road, would get born again in another village. And both of them were persecuted, especially from Muslim families, by their own families and by their village. And oftentimes beaten and put in prison. And Voice of the Martyrs' ministry was to support the individual. But what David Witt began to recognize is what the individuals need is fellowship. They thought they were all alone in their struggle. They knew that the worldwide body was out there, but they had no close fellowship. And so as he began to see this need over some years, he voiced it. He, he came to Voice of the Martyrs and he said, this is a, a, a problem. This is a need. We need to somehow connect them and build small churches out of them. And so 
They recognized that, but they said, it's not our calling. It's not our ministry. Why don't you go ahead and do that since the Lord gave you this burden and this vision? And we'll support you. We'll work together in meeting their needs. We'll meet, do what the Lord called us to do, and you do this. And so since then, he began this ministry called Spirit of Martyrdom. And that's their work. Their work is to train individuals who get born again and connect them with the body of Christ in their close locality so that they can have fellowship together and then build small house churches in all these different villages around the world, especially in restricted countries. And so one of the things you're going to notice, because their work is very sensitive, they cannot have any or much of what they say um, on the Internet, on uh, YouTube, or on social media at all. Because there are people who are looking out for these things, and it could cause someone's life to be taken. And so next Sunday, when he comes to share, we will not be live streaming. Uh, and much of what he says, and he'll probably reiterate this, uh, he does not want it posted on social media at all. Um, my work with them, especially in the last some few years, has mostly been very discreet. And that's why I've shared a few times that I've, I've been working with them. And that's all that um, we'll share is because we, um, you know, as they said in World War II, loose lips sink ships. And that's how it is in, in, in the Christian world, especially in restricted countries. The wrong thing mentioned, a ministry in this town and someone in that country who's been looking out for Christians in that town can hear it. And all of a sudden, uh, that pastor will be uh, put in prison and his family's house burned down and they'll lose everything they have and it'll, be, it'll make life hard or even kill them. And so um, just wanted to let you know a little bit about that. I, I love this ministry. It's a passion the Lord has put on my heart, especially in the last couple of years. The word in Hebrews 13, pray for those who are in bonds, who are in prison, as though bound with them. Do you pray like that with the Christians who are persecuted? Probably not, unless you know them. Right? It's one thing to pray generally, Lord, we pray for those who are in prison. But if you don't know the person who's in prison, how can you really pray as though you're there in prison with them? You can in some way, but it makes it much closer and personal as if you're right there with them, suffering, being beaten with them when you get to know the people. And so as I've been getting to know the people, this has really made it much more real to me. And it's like the Lord opened this word to me, Phil. I'm giving you the opportunity to obey this word. Pray for them as they'll bound with them. To do that, you have to fellowship with them. And that's why I invited him up here. To, to not only for me to enter into that, but to give all of you the opportunity, as the Lord leads you individually, to enter into that fellowship with the Christians, our brothers and sisters around the world, who are bound in prison, who are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ and even giving their lives.
you can turn your Bibles with me. To Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> this is a word the Lord has been uh, doing in my life. Lord, I thank you for your word. I just want to take a moment to say thank you for not just giving us a word that is instruction, but a word that is flesh and blood. A word that you actually do in each of our lives. So we worship. In Jesus' name. In Luke chapter 8, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about looking at this parable of the sower. And we've been looking at the dangers of the word of God. Did you know the word of God is dangerous? As I shared last week, Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy 32, the word that I'm sharing with you is not an, someone remember? An idle word to you. It is not neutral. Never. And it is far more powerful than what we often estimate it to be. So often we, we have the Bible so commonly. We're not like many of our brothers and sisters around the world who for one page of the Bible will give their life. That's right. They will risk to go over to someone's house at night and get one page of the Bible. And they know that if they're caught, they'll be shot, beaten, or in some way killed. It's risky to have even just one page of this book. You and I didn't grow up that way. Is the word of God risky for you? Is there any risk this book brings into your life? Any whatsoever? Oh, there is. We're just not aware of it. That's our problem. It has become common. It's not, it's lost its risk factor in my life. But it is risky. It has the same inherent risk to me that it does to my brother in Iran or in North Korea. Because we're unaware of it, we, we risk little for it. Right? But once the Holy Spirit turns on the light bulb, shines Christ, shines on you, Ephesians 5 says. Awake, sleeper! Christ shines on you. It's like in the middle of the night, and you're sleeping in bed, and someone takes a bright flashlight, and boom, right in your eyes. What's going on? Maybe you roll around. You know the reaction. We all would react pretty much the same way. Some more dramatic than others, perhaps. But we'd all have the same feelings, right? That's exactly what the Word of God does. Thy Word is a light to my path. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, 
And it does divide between your soul and your spirit. Every time. And when that light shines and we rise and Christ shines on us, the Word of God becomes flesh and blood. As first, as the Gospel of John, John 1 says, And the Word was made flesh and blood, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld Him as the only begotten of the Father. We beheld his glory. And the Lord still does the same thing in our hearts. So we've been looking at this parable of the sower and the, the impact of the word of God on people's lives. And can someone tell me, let's go down through in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And who, what was the first response the word of God had? Where did it fall? Stony ground? Nope. Beside the road. Kind of stony ground, but stony ground comes next. Beside the road. Now the roadside is not good earth, right? And an interesting thing is, what happens on the road? The soil is there because why? Why is it like that? It's busy. There are a lot of people going on this road. It's the highway of life, right? And so it's very hard. And this is almost always where the word of God hits us. We are busy in our lives. And it's in that busyness on the highway of life. The word of God is scattered in our hearts. And immediately the devil is there to take it. Before we even think about it, he takes it comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe, verse 12, and be saved. And those on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Danger. If the word of God makes you happy, look out. If sitting here, listening to this sermon, gives you joy and you walk out away pumped because, wow, that was a good sermon. Look out. If you don't watch out, you're going to lose it all. All the pump you got will be drained in a moment. When affliction, persecution, someone cuts you off, someone says something to you, your children rebel against you, someone does something that crosses your path, your will, boom, it'll be gone. And all your flesh will come out in its strength. The word of God has not entered your heart. When the Word of God enters our thoughts and stimulates our minds, we get pumped. When the Word of God enters my heart, it crucifies my flesh. It puts to death my will. That's the difference. The rocky soil is received with joy, but there's no firm root. Where they believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns are those which, who have heard. And as they go on their way, they, they don't get too pumped. They take it soberly. And they receive it into their heart. But as they go through the next week, other things grow up in their hearts too. There's competition in the heart. Anxiety is the first one. 
stress, worry. The next one that comes is riches. You start making some money, and it has an effect on your heart. The deceitfulness of riches, or maybe you lose money that week, and it has an effect on your heart. They are choked, verse 14, with worries and riches and pleasures of life. Maybe you just really have a good week. Man, it couldn't get much better than this. This is, we've all had those weeks, right? You just, you, you reflect back, it's about Wednesday or Wednesday morning, and you're just thinking, man, this is a good week. I'm really enjoying, thank you, Lord, this is a good life. And after a bit, you begin to think like this woman that someone once told me years ago that she, they were talking about heaven, and she goes, I don't, I'm not really anxious for heaven. I, I enjoy life. I'm not in a hurry to go there. You have those moments? The pleasures of life. And you know what's the one thing that stops when you continue to coast through that week like that? The effect of the word of God crucifying your flesh. That's choked out. Less. Not immediately. It's just choked out. What happens when someone chokes? Do they die immediately? They get less and less wind flow. Slowly. The effect of the word of God in your life. The desperate, desperate need for God's word to be my daily bread begins to slow down. You don't quite feel so desperate anymore. And you think, oh, does man live on bread alone? Well, it sure helps. Does man live on the word of God alone? Oh, I don't know. And you begin to not even miss it. You can go through the days... And you don't even miss the absence of it. You just, you're enjoying life, man. It's all good. Pleasures of life do that to us. I'm reading a small book that someone gave me. The Thought of a Desperate Man. Are you desperate? Would heaven look at you and see the desperation in your heart for God's living Holy word of life. Is there anything there? Any desperation at all? To live his book. To live his words. I'm not just talking about reading it. I'm talking about experiencing it. The power of it. And the seed in the good soil. So we talked about all that. Today I'm coming to the good soil. I'm going to talk about it as the fruitful life. Don't you want a fruitful life? I do. I desperately want a life that is fruitful for God. Not just because of what happens to me if I don't bear fruit, but because it's the joy of heaven. It is the joyous life. It's the only place, not where we don't receive happiness, but where we receive joy. Joy. In struggles. It's the place where Paul said in Romans 5, 
Therefore, I glory in my tribulations, in my struggles of life. I rejoice in it because tribulation works and patience, perseverance, endurance, and endurance. Huh? Hope. Hope. Hope of what? Hope of one day being delivered from it all, this body of sin. See, without that, you don't get that hope. You're just happy because things happen to you. But you're missing all this. And Paul, all of a sudden, the light bulb dawned on. Christ shined right in his eyes. When he was sleeping, it was brighter than the sun, he says. And he blinded him. And they had to lead him to a house. And he prayed and fasted for three days. And that's what the Lord revealed to him. That difference changed his life radically. And from then on, he lived in this hope. And you and I, that's our destination. That's Christ's love set upon us for that purpose. Verse 15, and the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. That's pretty good soil there. Honest is the first step. Saying, yeah, Lord, that's me. When you read the word, that's me, Lord. Have you read Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance from his sin? And said, that's me, Lord. Okay, now you're honest. If you haven't, and that's never been you, you're not honest with God. Because all of us, sometime in our life, many times in our life, that prayer has to become our prayer. And a good heart, not only honest, if you only have an honest heart, you're going to end up committing suicide. Because facing honestly my reality of my flesh, I'm going to see everything David's seen in his flesh and in his heart. And it's going to be the most depressing moment of my life. I see no good there. None. But David didn't stop with self-evaluation. He looked up. And what he saw was the mercy of God over his life. And what he experienced was complete, absolute forgiveness for his sin. And that made his heart good. It brought the goodness of the Lord to him at that moment. And he didn't die. That's what Nathan said. You will not die. Because he was not only honest. He looked at God's goodness and he received it into his heart. Those who receive the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast, something happens. The word of God enters my heart and it separates my feelings from reality, my soul from my spirit. And it purifies my spirit. It's like it peels off 
the outer ledge of like an orange. Carrie brought us a whole bunch of oranges, and this week we've been peeling a lot of oranges. Thank you, brother. It was delicious. But the Lord brought this to me. He's like, would you eat an orange if I just gave you an orange with the peeling on it and just start eating it like an apple? I have never seen anyone do that. Maybe you would, but I doubt it. Most times to get into the deliciousness of the orange, we have to peel off that outer layer. That's what the Holy Spirit does through the Word of God. He takes the peel of the outer layer off of our hearts. That outer layer that helps us, that actually helps us endure life, but it's hardness. And when Christ comes, no more outer layer is needed. He wants to peel it off and make us delicious. Make us fruitful. Enjoyable fruit that blesses others. And they hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Jesus said in John 15. This is the word the Lord's been doing in my life and in our home this week. I woke up one night this week. I was praying through a number of things. And the Lord woke me up at about midnight. He brought this word to my heart. And he said, get up and do it right now. And I got up. There was a trembling in my heart. And I was like, hey, Lord, I'm just going to do this because you're telling me to do it. I'm going to have to trust you. I'm going to have to trust you to give grace. Not only grace in my heart, but grace to our family. Grace to our boys. And the Lord gives grace. And there's joy after the grace is given because you know this wasn't something that I did with my own initiative or my own ambition or my own determination. I simply obeyed. He woke me up, shined the light on my heart. I got up and I obeyed. And the Lord poured out his Holy Spirit of joy and continues to do so. And I don't know yet where it's all going to take us, but it is bearing fruit. It will bear forth fruit. I know that. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke, which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You can't do this with a bright idea you come up with. It will not bear forth fruit. I'm talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can you name them for me? In Galatians chapter 5, what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Turn your Bibles with me. Let's look at it. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, but 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Look how they come to us. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. That fruitfulness comes through the cross. You can't have it any other way. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you begin to become fruitful, then it comes from me. Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. Do you really believe that? You can't do anything in the heavens spiritually you cannot do anything outside of Christ unless Christ is in you and you're abiding in him all your prayers you're praying to either men or yourself that's it they don't affect anyone else and they do nothing in the spiritual world nothing but if you're in Christ look what happens if you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, that means they have it, they're affecting you. They're peeling off the outer ledge of your heart. They're peeling back your will and making you fruitful, putting the fruit of the Holy Spirit into your life. If that happens, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. Ask what? Ever you wish it will not maybe it will be done for you do you really believe that the only way you can believe it is if you experience this you see we live in a Christendom and in a Western culture where this gospel is preached called the prosperity gospel ask whatever you will God wants to give you good things you just need to ask him it's true do you know what's missing from that message and from the understanding and experience of those Christians? The cross. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. You know what the word passion is? Strong desire. Strong desire for more money. Strong desire for better relationships, strong desire for whatever. And they pray thousands of prayers in their lifetime for those passions, and they get zero. Zero. And they become frustrated and angry people. Angry at God because they don't feel like He hears their prayers. Angry at the church because they gave Him a false gospel. Angry at people disappointed in themselves and they live life like this but if you abide in him and his words abide in you 
this reality. Having crucified your passions and changed your heart's desire to now be his. His desire to bring his will into your life, into your home, into your workplace, into the world through you. His will into the world through you. Ask whatever you wish. It will be done. By this, verse 8, my father, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Do you see what we get to experience in this reality? Love. God is love. And my Father is beginning to love me, and I've entered into that love like nothing ever before. The orange peeling of my heart is being peeled away. My will is less and less my will. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But what happens before that? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I will. His will. I told one young man a few years ago in Norway. He had come off the streets. He had a really rough life. Originally, his father grew up in, in Israel, in Palestine. He was a Palestinian. We hear a lot about Israel, but I don't know how many Palestinians you know. And the struggle of life that they experience. He grew up there. And as his father became a Christian, he was hated by his own people, mocked, persecuted. The Jews hated him. The Palestinians hated him. They finally found refuge in Norway. And he came into the Norwegian crowd, the social, liberal Norwegian young people, want nothing to do with God. And he grew up on the streets, fighting for his life, trying to find reason and purpose in his life. And as I was there sharing the word that that one Sunday afternoon, he, he was there, and, and I got to know him. And, and the next time I, I went there, I, I got to know him a little better. And, and I, it was maybe four or five years now that I had known him, and we, we had gotten to know each other, and I had prayed for him. But that Sunday afternoon, he was sitting there, and he was struggling so badly with the life God had given him. And he looks at me and he says, Phil, you don't understand. You have it made. You grew up in America. You have everything you want. Did you ever, did anyone ever do this to your dad, to your family? To your, did your town ever chase you out of town and boys throw stones at you and call you names? I won't go into all the details, but he, that was the cry of his heart and he was weeping and crying. And I was listening to him for a while. And, and the Lord brought that word to my heart. And I looked at him and I said, said his name and I said, Brother, you might think that about me, but what you don't know is my life sucks. Now that's a raw word, I know, for the church. But he understood it. I had to speak in street language for him. I'll never forget the look he looked at me and said, What in the world are you talking about, man? I said, oh yeah, you have no idea. The only reason I'm here is because I'm here against my will. Talking to you right now. 
I'm not here for money. I didn't make any money on this trip. It cost me a lot of money to come here. And it, wasn't, it isn't my will that I stand up here and share the word of God to you guys all weekend and go home exhausted to my family. That isn't my will. I didn't want to come here. I'm only here because He wills me to come and share His word with you. That's it. And it's completely against my will. It crucifies my flesh and puts me to death. That's the life I now live. So do I understand the physical things? No. The spiritual reality? More than you know. Every one of us, no matter what our circumstance, at the cross, are meant to experience this truth. And all of a sudden, the physical realities of how we experience it don't matter anymore. Because we're all at the same place. Our will is put to death. And the life we now live is His will. That's it. And it's not a one-time experience. The example the Lord gave me was in Abraham. And we know this example well. You can turn your Bibles with me to Genesis. We know in Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord appeared to Abraham and called him out from his country and from his father's place. And by the way, if you want to look at this, this is a big deal. It's not like today where we live in a mobile world. It's common for a child to leave home and go to college in another state or even over in Europe someplace. It's common to leave your father's house and go do your own thing and start your own life. It was not common in his day. It was unheard of. Abraham had never seen it and had never heard of it. It was completely cross-cultural. It was taboo. You didn't do that. No one did it. You grew up in your father's village. You had your family there in a compound together. And there you built your life. And then your children grew up there and built their life. And that's how towns grew into cities. And cities became nations. That's the way life was lived in Abraham's day in that culture. So what God called Abraham to do, most times you and I don't get it. How difficult and crazy this idea was for Abraham. But Abraham did it. And because he did so, in chapter 15... After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Why did he say, Don't fear, I am a shield to you? Because Abraham had left his family shield. He had just him taken his family and his nephew and went out into the big wide world that was cruel and wicked. And as he said it, there was no fear of God in this place. And he was afraid. But the Lord gave him that promise. He was also childless. He had no children of his own. And so the Lord gave him the promise. I'm going to give you children. Look at verse 5. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord 
and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The next story is very interesting, but it's not my sermon. You can read it sometime there in Genesis chapter 15. How God established that covenant with him. How Abraham built an altar and God lit the altar with his own fire. And now chapter 16, Abraham continues to live through his life. In chapter 17, now Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between you and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And he continues to tell him how many children he's going to have. And this is his covenant. And he says in verse 10, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in your flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. This is my covenant in your flesh. For an everlasting promise. That's it. This is my covenant of life with you. It will never go away. And it hasn't. God is still giving everyone of Abraham's descendants this covenant. It is the only way you and I enter into the promises of Abraham. In Galatians and in Romans he says... Who then are the children of Abraham? Are they the children of the flesh? No. They're the children of the spirit. And now we enter into God's covenant and into the blessing of Abraham in Romans chapter 2. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, you can read about all of it. I won't take the time to go there, but you can read it. But in chapter 2, he says this in verse 26. If therefore the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law... Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And will he not, who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, who through, who though, having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Listen to these words. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. The outward circumcision of your body doesn't matter anymore. Doesn't make you a Jew. Doesn't enter you into the covenant with God that God made with Abraham. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And where is the circumcision? The circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And His praise is not from men, but from 
from God. This is the only place where God praises you. Nowhere else. If your heart has not been circumcised from your own passion and will, if that hasn't been put to death, cut off, you're not one of his. That's what Galatians 5 said. They that are his have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. That circumcision, just like then was in the flesh, anyone who did it, whether he was a slave whom Abraham bought from someone or he was born in his house, everyone who entered into that, God's covenant and blessing came down upon them. They were God's. Now the circumcision is of the heart. God started physically with Abraham, but I want to show you where God took Abraham. He didn't remain in the physical. And that's why he says later, Abraham is the father of all those who believe. He's our example of faith. Because God said, I won't only do it to you, Abraham, physically, and have my covenant in your physical body. God knew that there was a spiritual day coming when it was going to be of the heart. And so he had to do it in Abraham's heart first to make sure that example was pure, as pure as God himself. And so we read in Genesis 22, the story. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, now I want you to notice something. God had never spoken like this to Abraham before. God always came, as it's recorded to us, to Abraham and said, I am pronouncing who he was. And God said to Abraham, I am, I am, I will. Always proclaiming himself. But this time, God didn't. He just called him by name. Abraham. He was testing him. What was he, was he going to respond? And you know how Abraham responded? And he said, here I am. First time Abraham responded like that to God. Have you responded that way to God when he calls your name? Here I am, unashamed. You see, he had walked with God. He had obeyed God. He had been circumcised. He was his, living by faith in his promise. Here I am, Lord. Quite a different response. In fact, exactly the opposite than what Adam gave to the Lord in the Garden of Eden after he sinned. When God walked through the garden and he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam didn't say, I'm here. He was hiding. You see the difference? You and I respond in one of these two ways when the Lord calls our name. We try to hide and ignore it. We pretend we didn't hear it. Busy ourselves with life, just like Adam. Or we'll respond like Abraham. When we begin to walk with God, and we are circumcised, but there is a greater circumcision God wants to do in our hearts. Here I am. Nothing to hide. Just stand in his presence. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. And so Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. It was a long ways away. And on the third day, three days journey, Bible scholars think that normally an average day's journey was between, for a man, was between 15 to 20 miles of walking. That's what they called a day's journey. Three days journey, perhaps 60 miles away. Hank is going to walk home, maybe. Is you about 60 miles from us? Probably. Three days journey. A lot of time to think about it. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. It was a big hill. You'll notice something about this hill later on. And Abraham said to his young men, stand here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship in return to you. By the way, this is the first time in the scriptures the word worship is used. Never before. This is the first time. Notice in the context what God's going to do with Abraham and how he's going to get to enter into this experience with God that no man had ever called worship before. And Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. You see where Abraham was? A place of awe. He knew where he was with God. And it was a place of worship. Here I am. Here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. Here I am, building the altar. And he arranged the wood. And then it gets personal. He turns to Isaac. And Bible scholars think Isaac was about 15 years old now. He could have ran. He could have fought with his dad. But he turns and he starts making his only son, the son of promise, the son of the promise of the covenant. This was not sin in his life. This was not evil. This was the promise that God had given him. He ropes him tight. Are you there with him? Here I am, Lord. Taking the promise you gave me and tying it up, putting it on the altar. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham took out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, Lord. That's the only thing that saved his son. If Abraham would have been angry, if he would have been resentful, if he would have been in a different spirit, he would have killed Isaac before God had a chance to stop him. But Abraham was, here I am, in a place of worship. Long before, for three days now, he was there with his God. And he remained there until the very last minute. Here I am, was his response. And whose will was done that day? Abraham's or God's? God's will in Abraham's life. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What had God circumcised in Abraham this time? His will, his heart. Abraham was in a place Now turn your Bibles with me to First Chronicles. We're going to look at another place where God circumcises a man's heart. It's a different context, intentionally, because not all of us have the same journey Abraham did. Some of us, our journey is more like David's, right? Have you considered the difference between Abraham's walk with God and David's walk with God? Very different men. Yet, both of them. God calls Abraham his friend, James says, and David a man after my own heart. Very different men. Very different lives. Same heart. Same deep experience with the God, their God, the God of heaven. And I want to use this example to encourage every one of us that in, in, in case you look at someone else's life and you're inspired by their life, whether it be Abraham, but you somehow can't put your life and fit it into his, you might be able to fit your life into David's. And it's also encouraging because God depicts, enters into very different personalities, men with very different places in God's kingdom, and he does the same thing. Now here we find, at the end of the book of Chronicles, First Chronicles, David's life is almost over. He has fought a good fight. And we're going to start looking at First Chronicles actually... In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David was at the pinnacle of his kingdom. All of his enemies were subdued. 
And David had overcome his sin. His family's struggles were subdued finally. It was pretty clear Solomon was going to be king. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan comes in. God gives Satan. In another place it says that God was angry at Israel. And I'm not sure why. It doesn't say why God was angry with Israel at this time. It's simply God wanted to purge Israel. And there were 70 men that needed to die. We don't know why. But the angel of God doesn't make a mistake. He's just. Maybe these 70,000, not 70 men, 70,000 men were living in sin. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But there was a reason they had to die. And it wasn't for David's sin. Although David took responsibility for it. You can read the story. He numbered Israel. And so God came to him in verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Gad. Actually, in verse 7. And God was displeased with this thing. This thing so he struck Israel. And David said to Gad, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of thy servant. For I have done foolishly. Here we find David doing something foolishly. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Take for yourself either three years of famine, or three months to be swept away before your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtake you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord. even pestilence in the land. And the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of a man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel, 70 thousand men fell of Israel fell and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it but as he was about to destroy it the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel it is enough now relax your hand and the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and and heaven, with his drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord my God, Please let thy hand against me be against me and my father's household, but not against thy people that they should be plagued. And the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. 
So David went up at the word of God, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, and went out from the threshing floor, prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Give me the site of this threshing floor, that I may build it and all on it an altar to the Lord. For the full price you shall give it to me, that the plague may be restrained from the people. And Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings, and the threshing sledges for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, I will surely buy it for the full price. Don't forget that. David said, I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. When you worship, does your worship cost others and you nothing? Your Christian life, your obedience to God, is it at the expense of others so that you don't need to pay anything? Examine yourself. This is a deep conviction the Lord gave me personally that whenever I encourage someone or share the word of God, whether it's publicly or go anywhere else, it must cost me full price. And the others, nothing. And that becomes an act of worship. Outside of that, the circumcision of your heart doesn't happen. Your money isn't cut away. It's intact. Think about that difference. David experienced the difference. And I'll show you what happened. And David built an altar to the Lord. Oh, so David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold. 600 shekels of gold. That was no little price. By weight for the site, he bought the whole land. Not just the threshing floor, not just the oxen. The whole hill he bought. And David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and he called to the Lord and the Lord answered him and this is the first time this happened to David first time it happened to Abraham now David and by the way on the same hill the same place and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering God's fire fell on that altar. Just like in Abraham. Same place. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in its sheath. And at that time when David saw that the Lord answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, then he offered sacrifices there. Now David began to just pour out to the Lord. 
For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the burnt offering were in the high place at Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was terrified by the sword of the angel. And now it continues to say, David continues with his life. He's now toward the end of his life. And you'll read like David was an old man. And just a few chapters later, in chapter 29, David comes to the end of his life and he makes Solomon his king, his son king. And by the way, fun fact, as the boys like to say, I don't mean to throw it lightly, but this is an amazing thing. David was the only king of Israel, the living king who got to anoint and appoint his son as king while he lived. No other king that ever happened to. No other time ever. The sons were always made king after the father was dead. But here, and here was the only time that a king got to anoint his own son and appoint him as king while he was alive. And I believe it's because of this. Chapter 29. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom the lone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, for the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord. He's building the temple. Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onk stones and inlaid stones, stones of antinomy, antonomy, antinomy? I don't know, and stones of various colors and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Alabaster, by the way, was very expensive. That's what Mary broke over the feet of Jesus when she worshipped. And moreover, in my delight in the house of God, I give. Now David is saying, I laid all this up in store for the temple. But now I'm so delighted for this place of worship. I will give all the treasure and moreover in my delight in the house of God. The treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God. And over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. And he gives everything he's got now. He gives it all back to worship at the end of his life. Boy, you should read this chapter. And he's so inspiring, David is, that Israel comes together and they all just give an abundance of stuff for the temple. And then David blessed the Lord. Read David's last prayer. Verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. Verse 12, he says, Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, to give you a cue, this place was Mount Moriah. In Second Chronicles chapter 3, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place where David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. Now if you look at 
biblical history. You can Google this, by the way. The Lord told Abraham, I want you to go to the mountains of Moriah. Moriah has many mountains. And what is so interesting to me is, if you look at it, Jerusalem is built on one of those mountains called Mount Moriah. But there are many other mountains around Jerusalem. You can read about this in Psalm 125. He says, the Lord is a shield to me like the mountains around Jerusalem. So the Lord is strong and a protection over us. There were many mountains around it. But on this mountain, Solomon built the temple where David worshipped. But I want you to look at the context. Abraham, it was out of the promise. David, it was out of foolishness that was redeemed. And there God worshipped. Man worshipped God. And look what happened. David poured out. I won't give to the Lord anything that doesn't cost me. I'll give it for the full price. Did Abraham pay full price? Yes. His heart's treasure. Full price. And he worshipped. David, full price. Giving it all to worship God. And there Solomon built the temple. And today, they still call it the Temple Mount. It's there in Jerusalem, in the midst of Jerusalem. And men from all kinds of religions to this day go to that place to seek out to worship God. But Jesus made it very clear. It is not a physical place anymore. In John chapter 4, he told the woman at the well, it is not in this place it will not be that you'll come to God to worship God in this place, in this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. But God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Where is the mount that God wants to receive worship from man today? Right here. The Mount Moriah. My mountain of Moriah. It can be a mountain of blessing and a promise. But if that promise isn't given back to God, it becomes a robber and a thief. And we never experience worshiping God for that promise. It becomes a selfish thing for me. And so God has to take it and peel it back. The promise. Circumcise the heart from the promise. So that my heart is only his. Now I know today, God said, that your heart is mine and not on the promise. And for David, can be an act of foolishness, even an act of pride, an act of fleshly strength. Let's see how big we are. Let's count the people. Let me see. I'm going to start counting my blessings. Oh, I see. You know how much I love you? All my heart. Now, here, bring that plant. Bring that plant for me, please.
Ouch, she's going deep. Let's just do this. Just the toes. That's all right. I'm going to make a mess because you know what? This is messy. It's even bloody. You remember what Moses' wife said to him? When God appeared to Moses and he hadn't been circumcised? You're a bloody man to me. The blessings. I'm going to start counting them. And then the Lord says, and interestingly enough, God rarely in the scriptures uses a circumstance or other people to do this to your life. It's a personal choice. He says, here, you prune away the blessing. You do it. I'll take that back. <laughs> Have you gotten this pruning shears from the Lord to cut off your blessing? Sure you have. Sure you have. If you're one of his, you have crucified your passions. Whether they were a blessing from God or your foolish pride, the Lord hands you the shears and says, you cut it off. Take this beautiful flower. Jesus said, if you're fruitful, not if you sin, I'll cut off the sin. Yes, he will do that. But what will he do if you're fruitful? You're abiding in Christ in John 15, and you're bringing forth fruit. It's a beautiful flower. And the Lord says, all that joy, all that peace, all that love you think you have for others and for me, really, you love your son so much, and yes, it's a promise. Oh, yeah, you love your ministry. You love the work that God is doing through you. You love the church. It's such a blessing. And he just keeps saying, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Cut. Well, that one too? Yep, everyone, cut them all off. Even the little ones. Until you're ruined. me I am ruined that's what they said that's what Isaiah said woe is me I am ruined you feel ruined the life as you knew it the fruitful life the Lord asked you to walk away It's not pretty. It's a mess. All the beautiful flowers are everywhere. And not only do you think you're ruined, everybody else does too. Everybody says, you're ruined. It's over, man. It's over. Except for the gardener. There's one person who does not say, it's over for your life. You know what he does? And everyone who has his heart circumcised, his praise is not from men, Romans 2, 
Uh, where does it come from? God. God looks at that and he says, yes, this is beautiful. Beautiful. Abraham's experience, beautiful. God rejoices over it. David's experience, beautiful. God rejoices over it. Don't you think there was a lot of weeping and wailing going on in Israel at this time? 70,000 men, dads, husbands, died. 70,000. That's a city full. Whose wives and children were crying. Who do you think they blamed? Because David worshipped there, they followed him. And they also worshipped in their pruning. They also worshipped. That's what you see in chapter 29. And the people brought all their things to Jerusalem, to this mount, and said, let's worship. Where will you worship? What will you worship? Will you worship at all? We sing about worship so lightly. We have no idea. We have no idea. We think it's a passion. We think it's a good feeling. We're in a big crowd. And we're singing with all our hearts. Our souls are lifted up. Our hands are raised high. But it costs me nothing. There's no investment in my worship at that point. But when you do that, when you worship, and it costs you full price, everything, your heart desired and wanted and owned, Now you live in his will. You worship there. That's where you'll experience something that very few do. God himself praising you. Heaven rejoicing. And Jesus said it truly. And it is so. In John 15. By this, my Father is my Father glorified that you bear forth much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. That's where God's loving embrace comes into my life. It did in Abraham. It did in David. And it does in ours. And look what he says. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. And that word full means running over full. You see, the gardener knows 
that for this flower to come strong and weather the heat of the summer, all those flowers in the spring need to be clipped off. Because you know what happens? You gardeners know. You've done this. The strength and the energy that was going into the nice-looking flower looked pretty, but they actually were draining the plant. The energy from this plant and its roots was all in its shell, outwardly. So you have to clip off those beautiful flowers so that the strength goes inward into the roots. And now the, this one, it will come back fuller, stronger, and it will endure the heat of the summer, and it will bring forth even more flowers. That's what the pruning does. That's what happened in Abraham's life. That's what happened in David's life. And that's what will happen in my life. Share a short testimony with you of my own journey. And I know you probably have a journey too. I know you do. But I share this to encourage you. Lest we become weary and faint-hearted when the Lord gives us the pruning shears. It's always your choice. You can say no. Okay. But you'll start dying that day. Spiritually dying. Not right away. But all your energy will continue in those beautiful flowers. And the roots will become weaker. And by the end of the summer, your spiritual life is drained away. Every time in my Christian life, since the time the Holy Spirit first came into my life, when I was about 23 or so years old, in a very real and powerful way, and I was, it was exciting. And the Lord always led me into a fruitful life every time did you too. If it comes from him, it is fruitful. It will bear fruit. If I am in the vine, it brings forth fruit. And I remember so well, I came back and as I began to walk with God, my life became fruitful. I began to love to share and share the word and be invest in people's lives and that's fruitfulness. And it was only a few couple years, a couple of few years, that the Lord said, leave it all. Not at the moment when it seemed like it was falling apart. It was being beautiful, I thought. I was in the middle of God's excitement in my life. And the Lord said, leave it all. And so he asked me to prune it away. And as I did, everybody said, and I thought I was ruined. And the people around me said, yeah, it's over. He's ruined. But it wasn't there very long in the new planting where the Lord had called us to. And again, the Lord just said to me, follow me. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. And the Lord soon, that work began to be fruitful in my life. And again, that lasted for about a year. And in the middle of the fruitfulness, the Lord handed me the shears again and said, move to Colorado. Leave it all. Move out here. 
And again, I thought, I was ruined. Financially, spiritually, and just socially. Leaving all of our family and friends and the church we loved where the God's Spirit was breathing and people were getting born again and there were baptisms and boy, it was exciting and I was in the thick of it. Cut it off. Move out here. Ada was here. There were just four of us families. And it didn't seem like anything was going on. And I remember sitting in that first service thinking, yeah, I'm ruined. I think I've just made the biggest mistake of my life. I had my elders begging me to stay. Begging me to take more ministry and people in the church, business offers and spiritual offers and mission offers and I walked away from it all. Why? Just because I felt God said so. That's all. Your praise never comes from men when this happens. They don't understand what's going on. And it can't, or your praise won't come from God. God won't praise you when men are praising you. Did you know that? You think it's so, but it's not. God praises you when no one else does. So that his praise is far superior than anyone else. So you quit thinking and living for the praise of men. That's why. And then the Lord called us out here. And again, I labored with my whole heart, invested it all, said, okay, God, we're doing this. We're doing this. This is where you called us. And about seven years later, the Lord again gave me the shears. Walk away from it all. And at that time, it's interesting. And I share this to encourage you. Every time the plant was bigger, it seemed my my ministry and my heart was more invested and the, there was more at stake. Now, seven years later, I had brothers and sisters who were going to be affected in Idaho and in Oregon and in California and around the nation. And as my dear spiritual mentor told me, when, when he seen I was making this decision, he begged me to stay. He said, Phil, you have 50 pulpits. I'll give you 50 more. Is that what you want? More ministry? What do you want? I don't know. I don't know what I want. I just know God is calling me. Prune it all off. Every bit of it. And when the pruning was done, I knew I was ruined this time. It was on a bigger scale than I had ever experienced before. You see journeys, the journey of Abraham? How the stakes rose with God. And then the Lord did it again to me not long ago, a few years ago. And you brothers who've been with us, you know the pain. This time it was worldwide. It was bigger. More intense. Me seemed like a lot more at stake. And I had many people tell me, not only this time are you ruined, you're ruining many lives. You are ruining their lives. 
Souls are going to go to hell because of you. I am ruined for sheep. David. David was my cry. Lord, just cut me off. Don't take these sheep. Don't take these sheep. I have no idea where God is taking me. And you have no idea where God is taking you. But one thing you can be sure of, our journey with Jesus just like this. It will continue like this. And you have no idea when the Lord will hand you the pruning shears. Abraham didn't see it coming. David didn't see it coming. But they responded with hearts of worship and they were all in. They didn't hold back any of the flowers. They were all in. And when you and I all in and hold nothing back. We can be sure we experience God's depth of love there, like Jesus said, and our joy tank be made complete. Full. Again and again and again. And if you look at it from the world and earthly perspective, as one brother told me, you don't have a good track record, Phil. And I said, I know. Is your track record good from men's perspective or from God's? Are you okay if it's only from God's? That's where you worship. That's how we worship, brothers and sisters. This is the place our Mount Moriah is still God is looking, Jesus said in John 4. God's looking right now in your heart saying, where's your Mount Moriah? I have it already set for you. might be a three days journey. It might be a three years journey. It might be a 30 year journey. But your Mount Moriah, I have set in place for your life. Will you come and worship me? Will you begin that journey? The day Abraham set off for that journey, he knew he was going to worship. We will go to worship. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Can you play that song for me, Gary? Here we go. Thank you, Brother Phil, for that, for that word and that encouragement. Uh, it just really spoke to my heart as well. And uh, I think we could... Uh, share another complete sermon but I know time is here to close and I yeah uh, maybe it's some something we can share at the the lunch table and so yeah thank you so much again for that word kind of remind me my wife just the other day had some flowers sitting on the table to the exact same thing I thought it looked so beautiful I'm like honey what are you doing <laughs> and she just like clipped the flowers off because my wife is a very good gardener and uh, and she fully well knows of the results that will come from that. And so thank you for that, brother. Um, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. I just want to share a short thing about what, uh, that pruning. Years ago, I uh, was doing some yard 
also wanted to do something I never started to do, to do, do pruning. But he had, it was roses. He had nice pencil roses and everything like that was getting towards uh, the fall and all that other stuff. So what he had me do, cut it all the way down to the ground. I thought, wow. And you know what happened the next year? Whoa, it just uh, was, came out fuller than before I cut it. I just thought I'd share that too. All right, why don't we all stand, and uh, like I was ready to mention, uh, we have a, a new meal prepared here. So I know we've got some of the visitors here, so please feel free to go ahead and just uh, file through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your goodness to us. And Lord, just thank you um, for your many blessings, Lord, that we can trust in you. For our future, for our lives, Father, we don't know what's around the next bend or the next curve, but Lord, we just fully trust in you that you will care and provide for each one of us, and that is so different for each one that's here, and Lord, let, but we continue to encourage and bless one another in you, Father, and we thank you also for the physical food that's been provided, and bless the hand that have prepared it, bless it to our bodies, Lord, bless our time together this afternoon. Lord, we just want to honor and glorify you in, in everything that we say and do. We commit this day into your care. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.